number six this morning. Esther chapter number six. Matt reminded me what book we're in, but I remembered the chapter, so I get that much credit, right? Uh, Esther chapter number six. The, the storyline here of Esther begins to take a little bit of a turn, and, and it's a turn for the better. Uh, it's one of those turning points in your life when you're going through a hard time that you really want to see happen. And it begins to take that turn, but it's a gradual turn. We'll look at it this morning. The Bible says in Esther chapter number 6 and verse number 1, On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There's nothing done for him. And the king said, Who's in the court? Now Haman was come in to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king, to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to honor more than to myself? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes." that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth in the king's gate. Ain't that a riot? Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Mordecai came again to the king's gate. But Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh's wife unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but surely, but shalt surely fall before him. And while they were talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. Father, we love you this morning. We ask you to open up this passage of Scripture to us and help us, God, to get what we need from this passage to help us in our life. I pray that you do something here for us today that we won't forget. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you can be seated. I can only imagine the amount of stress that's going on in Esther's life and Mordecai's life up to this point. If you run it back and you think about the storyline, which I'm looking around, I don't think there's anybody here this morning that's a a first time that hasn't been at least through part of this, this book with us, so I don't have to reiterate too much of the story, but... You understand, looking back, that both Mordecai and Esther had lost family members that were close to them. Mordecai then steps into the role of father in Esther's life and takes her as his own. I mean, that's how much he loves her, and that's based on a foundation that comes from both of them grieving the loss of a family member. I mean, there's a commitment there on Mordecai's part to take her and raise her and invest in her as his own daughter. So there's a long history here of heartbreak and problems and stress and just the pressure that had been building up in their lives up to this point had to be something that's beyond what I've ever experienced in my life. To see how it all begins to play out and thinking about it from Esther's standpoint, her life literally gets robbed from her because God made her a beautiful young lady. She even stacks the deck against herself by saying, listen, I'm not going to require anything, but whatever you want to give me, give it to me. All the other girls are doing everything they can to get the best makeup and the latest and the crimpers and curlers and this, that, and the other thing to try to make themselves as beautiful as possible and do everything they can to present themselves to the king so that they can get that role of queen and not that role of now like some kind of an old maid shut up in the king's quarters where all the other concubines stay and maybe never get to see the king again. Who 
who knows if they didn't please him. Remember all the women, all the ones that he took that didn't please him, they just go back. They just don't get their life back. They go back and live in his housing and they stay there for the rest of their life because no other man gets to marry them and enjoy a marriage relationship with them since the king had had them. Just a selfish, self-centered man. Could you imagine what it would feel like to be her? And then to watch Mordecai's actions and how that begins to affect her and her position. I mean, I'm talking about there's been a long time buildup of pressure and problems and stress going on in her life. There is danger and impending doom hanging over her head. She has to make a decision. Mordecai tells her, don't think that you'll escape just because you're in the king's house. If he's after us Jews, you're going to get it too. So she makes a decision, says, I'll go in, and if I perish, I perish. She literally puts her life on the line and is willing to lay it down to do what God would have her to do to try to help her people out. It's a pretty wild situation. And as you study the story and we look at this thing building up to this point, everything has actually gone from bad to worse in her life. It's like, I did what I had to do for God. I stepped up. If I perish, I perish. I'm thinking that now that I'm doing right, God's going to step in and he's going to take care of the situation. But it looks like God's not stepping in and not taking care of the situation. And it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. The gallows are made and they're coming after her people. She puts the, hits the pause button and she spends three days and three nights fasting and praying about the situation. She's postponing, like we saw last week, that banquet to put off till the end of that fasting and prayer time. I got thinking about that and how God, it seems like he, he, like, he like strings them along all the way to the last minute and then steps up. And I don't understand why it is that way, but that is literally the way God works. If you look at the stories throughout the Bible, I mean, look at Joseph. God could have stopped Joseph from ever winding up in jail, but he didn't. God allowed him to wind up in jail, and his crime was, no, I will not commit that sin with his wife. I'm not going to displease God. And he takes the fall for the situation, and instead of taking the fall for the situation and getting vindicated and justified and pulled out of the situation, he winds up taking the punishment for something he didn't even do, and he winds up in prison, and God did not come and break him out of prison. You remember the story, right? The butler and the baker, and he interprets the dream, and they're saying, yeah, we'll remember you. Remember me before the king. Yeah, we'll remember you before the king. And then guess what? They forgot him before the king. I mean, come on, man. The guy can't catch a break. And it seems like God just lets him sit in that situation and runs that thing all the way to the end before God shows what he's doing with it. You think about David in the cave. That to me is just a, just a, a, David's story is a mind-blowing story. God seems to just let him go through it and just keep suffering. How many years did David suffer? A decade? Well, think about the buildup of the pressure. It started all the way back shortly after he kills Goliath when Saul begins to start getting jealous of him and there's a buildup over time like, man, what is the point in me even trying to do right? God delivers him into my hand. I don't kill him. And what do I get for that? More suffering, more pain, more running, his own guys even turning on him. I mean, any little tiny mistake that David makes, and you can find David making some mistakes, any little tiny mistake that he makes after all his loyalty, all his faithfulness, all the the good things that David does, all the ways he proves himself, then he makes a small mistake and his guys are ready to kill him because of the ramifications of the mistake that he made. The guy can't catch a break. And God seems to just let it keep going. What I want to talk to you about this morning is God's timing in your life. God is never in a hurry. I think the preacher mentioned that this week. It was a great thought if you missed it. He says the disciples are out in the, in the storm on the boat and the Lord comes walking on the water. And the interesting part, he would have passed them by. Lazarus is sick. The Lord says, okay. He dies. The Lord shows up and says, I'm glad for your, for your sakes I wasn't here. Lord, he's been dead four days. You could have showed up right after he died and raised him from the dead. You leave him dead four days and then you show up. 
It's very interesting how the Lord never is in a hurry, like he mentioned. What's strange to me is like he said, you're never one time going to find Jesus Christ running anywhere in the Bible. You know how many Christians are in a hurry? You know how many young people are in a rush to grow up? Well, if you don't get that pattern or that example from Jesus Christ, where are you getting it from? Well, it ain't the Lord. It's either your flesh trying to mess you up or it's the devil pushing you to hurry up. But the Lord's not in a hurry. Do you know the Lord's not in a hurry to grow you? You know how many of you get frustrated? And I know because we talk, get frustrated because you don't feel like you know your Bible good enough. I'm trying to read my Bible every day like I'm supposed to and I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm trying to pray, but I'm not even sure that I'm praying the right way and God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. I'm trying to be faithful to come to church, but man, sometimes I don't get anything out of it. Listen, the Lord's never in a hurry. I can't explain. I'm not sure. I can't explain all that to you, but God never seems to be in a hurry. His timing is always perfect, and He's always doing something in spite of how bad it looks. You think there's no way out, but I am telling you, with God, there is a way out. He's got something He's doing, but He's never in a hurry to get it done, and I wish He was. I'll be honest with you. Like I mentioned to you before, Brother Sowell told me when we started the church, he said, plant an oak tree. And he said, oak trees don't grow fast. So just slow down, plant an oak tree, and let God do what God's going to do. Do you know what almost every young, ambitious preacher... And by the way, it's good for a young preacher to have some kind of ambition. If you don't have any ambition at all, he ain't worth the gunpowder it'd take to blow him away. You understand that, right? A frustrated ambition is very dangerous and that ambition can be pretty wicked and it can mess you up and mess a ministry up. He told me for, over and over again, oak tree, plant an oak tree. I heard him say that throughout the years, but when he told me it stuck with me, plant an oak tree. You know what I did? I planted an oak tree. I tried to grow like an evergreen. Really. We started more ministries than I even care to remember. We started a ministry for people that have drug and alcohol problems. We started a Bible institute. We started a jail ministry, a nursing home ministry, a door knocking ministry. We had every ministry going on that there was to go on. And we were training preacher boys to preach. It's trying to grow an oak tree like an evergreen, but it didn't work. Do you know why? Oak trees don't grow like evergreens. They grow slow, but they last. They don't look as pretty as fast, but they last. God's timing is perfect. And if you really want God's will in your life, you've got to slow down and be willing to trust God in his timing. And in his timing, he'll take care of you. Only God can do what we're going to see God do here in this passage. Only God. There is no way hurrying anything up is going to get the job done. You have two choices. Do it your way or wait on his way. Only choices you got. We see in this passage the timing of God is absolutely perfect, but like I've told you before, it's interesting and it so well relates to the day and age that we live in because you don't really see any miraculous, amazing miracles of God. Listen, I wish we could. I wish, I wish God would come speak to me. I would love nothing more than to see some kind of a miracle happen, wouldn't you? I mean, come on, be honest. Wouldn't it be great if you could be guaranteed it wasn't a devil impersonating him? Wouldn't it be wonderful for the Lord to speak to you in a dream? Wouldn't you love to have some kind of a vision? Wouldn't it be great to see? But God isn't working that way, at least in this nation at this time. God's not working that way. He's working much like he works in this passage. And notice what it says in verse number one. On that night... What night is it? It's the last night of her fast. It's the wrap-up of her fasting and her prayer. She's been seeking God, and, and Israel has been seeking God. Her friends, she's spread the word, and they're seeking the Lord. And that 
in this, in this context leading up to here, and God Almighty is working, but He's working in a way she can't see and does not know. She's fasting and she's praying, and so God shows up in that king's room in answer to her prayers, and He begins bothering that king's mind and messing with that king's emotions, and that king is laying there, and he doesn't know why he can't sleep, but the reason he can't sleep is because Almighty God hears the prayers of a young woman and is showing up to stir up a king because God's doing a work she doesn't know he's doing at the last minute in God's timing. If you want to see the timing of God work out in your life, you better learn how to fast and how to pray. Fasting is not something that we hear preached on nowadays. Go to churches. Sit and listen. You're at a point where we don't even preach on fornication anymore. I mean, it's like, let alone something like fasting. Well, I believe maybe some of you are ready for this kind of a message. And you know what you need? You need to learn how to fast and pray. I'll answer the question right now because it's going to come up. Okay, what does it mean to fast and how long do I have to fast and all that stuff? Well, I would recommend baby steps. I would not recommend a three or a five day fast. I'd recommend starting with maybe a meal. Maybe skip lunch and instead of eating, you get alone with God and you pray. One meal. That's a fast. You know, sometimes a fast has to do with just not eating pleasant food. You could do a juice fast. Sometimes a fast has to do with, look, I'm not going to watch TV or I'm not going to do something that instead of sitting there at the end of the day and spending two or three hours watching a show, I'm going to go in my room and I'm going to get out my Bible and I'm going to pray tonight. Just, just this once. I wouldn't go making week-long commitments to God. I would start with this once. But in order to see God's hand and God's timing work out, we need to be a people who learn how to fast and pray. Think about Daniel's fast in Daniel chapter number 10. Do you know he was three full weeks praying with no answer to his prayer? For three full weeks, Daniel was seeking God and longing after God and on his face before God. He got after the Lord and for three weeks, God didn't answer him. You know, most of us get discouraged after three minutes. But it was a timing thing. Do you know the moment Daniel began to pray, God sent the answer? Have you read that passage? The answer's on its way, and Lucifer sees that thing, and he intercepts Gabriel, and he says, no, 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 you ain't doing this. And Gabriel's, I'm sent from God. And Michael, Israel's prince, Michael, the, the, the warrior angel, had to show up and assist Gabriel as Gabriel's trying to come and bring that message, if I'm remembering that whole thing right. Daniel's down there on his face fasting and seeking God and praying and he is like you and I because he's human but he understood something by that point in his life I'm not quitting and I'm not getting up, giving up because just because God hasn't answered yet doesn't mean God's not going to answer Daniel kept praying and while Daniel was seeking God something supernatural was going on in outer space on a level that you and I could never comprehend and Daniel kept on praying and that answer showed up in God's time. Three full weeks. And boy, when he got that answer to prayer, he got strengthened. He got some answers. He got some help. He was able to go on and give us some messages that are just amazing messages there in the book of Daniel. But he didn't quit praying. I think about Jacob wrestled with the angel. Man, I think about that story all the time. I mean, I, I don't, that one sticks in my mind and my heart like nothing else. I mean, I know a little bit about what it feels like to wrestle. And to, to, to wrestle for an hour with breaks in between will keep you alive. If you go 100% for an hour, you're more than likely going to have a heart attack. <laughs> you're going to get so dehydrated, you're going to start having muscle cramps. You've got to have little breaks in between there to bring your heart rate down and to, to get some water and then get back at it. And to do that for an hour in five-minute sections with a one-and-a-half or a two-minute break in between is, is just beyond, it's just unbelievable. That man wrestled with the angel all night long. Do you know that was a supernatural wrestling match? 
That went beyond what any human being is capable of. I don't care what kind of an elite level you're at. There's no human being physically capable of wrestling all night long without breaks, without rehydration, without allowing your heart rate to come back down. That was a supernatural wrestling match between him and that angel. And at the end of that wrestling match, that angel touched him. And he never walked the same again, but he went from Jacob to Israel, a prince with God. He said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Talking about God's timing. Why did God push him that far? Why did God not answer his prayer after an hour? Why did God not answer his prayer after six hours? Why did God push that man all night long like he did? I don't even claim to know or understand why, but I do believe this, that if you and I get serious and get after God and will not stop getting after God because it means something to us to get a hold of God, that eventually when God's ready, your life will be changed. But I think most Christians never, ever, ever get to this point. Live our entire life and never get to this point. Can I just suggest to you that there are some things to pray about? Some of you got lost loved ones we've been praying for for years. And you know what happens? It hasn't happened yet. They haven't gotten saved yet. Well, you're going to give up praying? Or are you going to keep praying? Do you know some of you might need to keep praying because they may not get saved in your lifetime. They may get saved once you're dead and gone. God might let your preacher lead some of your family to Christ once you're already in heaven, but you need to keep praying. You need to get serious with God. Maybe you need to say, you know what, there's one meal a week I'm not going to eat or one day a week I'm not going to eat until God answers this prayer. I'm setting myself on this thing. Now listen to me carefully. I'm setting myself on this thing and I'm not stopping and I'm not letting go and I'm not giving up and I'm not quitting until I see God in His timing answer the prayer that I'm asking God to answer. Now listen to what I'm saying. If and when God tells you no and makes it clear, let it go. Once God says no, Paul, then you accept it and say God's grace is sufficient because that thing will become a bitterness for you, fighting against the will of God. Does that make sense? But if God hasn't told you no yet, don't quit getting after God because right down to the last minute, you never know what God might do. Here she is at the end of that fast, and while she's fasting and praying, God Almighty is working. And I'm just telling you from the bottom of my heart, I believe with all my heart that God Almighty works just like that. I've had time periods where I said, I'm not going to eat for this long. And literally in the last hour of that thing, an unbelievable answer to prayer, just the hand of God comes in there, and you go, that had to be God because of the way that got set up. That could not have possibly been a man. You know what you just experienced this last week with Brother Peacock's uh, preaching? You experienced the timing of God. Been through quite a bit. A lot of you have been through quite a bit in the last couple of years, right? God led your steps to come to this church. God set up your path. God's given you people around you. Things looking back, you can look back and see, man, it just kind of was like a snowballing effect in my life and it just kept getting worse and worse. And then God brings you to a place where things can start to make sense. You can start putting some things together. You can start getting some answers. And then he leads us all the way up through the, the recent events in our church history and our church life to the meeting. That, that was all the timing and the hand of God on every bit of that. God brings in Brother Highcove to minister to you and you heard his testimony of losing his son. That was, he, he had no idea everything that was leading. He, he's planning to come here. That was all the timing in the hand of God. You know what that is? That's answers to prayer. That's the way your heavenly father works. Esther's been fasting for these three days and three nights and all the while during that fast, things seem to be getting worse, not better. But she didn't quit praying. If you're going to see the timing of God in your life, you've got to learn to fast and to pray and not to let go on that prayer. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. The thing about fasting and prayer is it is abasing and humbling to you. 
You do understand that, right? As a grown man who's strong-willed and stubborn and like to figure stuff out and make it happen, for me to get down on my face and beg somebody I've never laid eyes on, beg him, beg him to help with things I can't help myself with, to do some things I can't do for myself, to use me in ways I can't use myself, to beg him to do a work I can't do is humbling. And you know what God says? Keep humbling yourself. Where's the exaltation, Lord? Keep humbling yourself. Where's the answers that I get to brag about? Tell everybody what great things you did. Keep humbling yourself. In due time, God will exalt you. And his timing is so perfect, it goes beyond what we can even comprehend. Do you know that there's moving pieces to everything in your life? There's moving pieces to everything in your life. People were bugging me to start a church here years before I started a church here. You know why? I wasn't ready. They were ready. I wasn't ready. You know what I discovered when we actually went ahead and started the church? It wasn't just me that God was getting ready, but it was the entire community. It was the entire area. It was the people God was sending to help. It was all that God was wanting to do in working and orchestrating things and stuff that was going on in Dave D's life and Jim Richardson's life and, and all the Rob's life and all the things that God was doing all over the place. God was working through circumstances while people are just bulldozing their way through life like Dave D and Mike Reagan, you know, just bulldozing their way through life, making it happen. God's setting things up and orchestrating things and working things behind the scenes and you'd never imagine he's even doing it, but he's prepping them, he's prepping me, he's prepping the area, he's prepping that. He was prepping the storefront. You know what God was doing to the guy that owned the storefront? God was financially strangling him out. So that when we came and said, how much do you want? He said, here's the number. We cut that number in half and said, this is what we'll give you. And the real estate agent said, there's no way. And we said, yeah, nope, it's going to get worse because he wants a two-year contract. Tell him month to month. And 50% of what he's asking. We weren't even paying enough to pay his tax bill. But it had been sitting empty for a long time. Do Do you get the point that I'm making? God was working on so many levels the way only God can. And his timing was perfect in bringing it all together, and it looked like a super bad situation. The men that had joined the church, two of them had owned their own businesses and were quite successful. But it was in the middle of the recession, and they were both in housing construction, and they were, they were losing their shirt, man. And they both, at, at different times, had chewed me out. Man, if you'd have started this church a few years ago, you're so stubborn. Now we don't have any money, and we can't do what we would have done before. And God Almighty was putting that thing together, and it all looked bad. It all looked wrong. But God was in it, because God's timing is not our timing, and His ways are not our ways. Hey, His heavens are higher than the earth, so His ways are higher than our ways. He knew what He was doing. None of it made sense. But God was right. And if I'd have done it any different, I'd have messed it all up. I'd have had two guys there that could pay all the bills. And we'd have been paying top dollar in South Lyon, a most high-demand community in the metro Detroit area, fastest-growing community in Michigan. And I'd have needed the guys making the money. I'd have been off on the wrong foot. Now I had nothing to turn to but an almighty God in heaven who can pay bills even in recessions when his timing is right. And I learned to pray. Boy, you better believe I learned to pray like I'd never prayed before in my life. And God always answered prayers. But it always seemed like he's at the last minute. Her fasting and prayer is number one in seeing the timing in the hand of God. But number two, notice something else. Here's a type. The king can't sleep, right? So what does he do? He commands to bring the book of records of Chronicles. And they're read before the king. Are you kidding me? Now, either he's saying, listen, I got insomnia, so open up your Bible to First and Second Chronicles and let's start reading, because that'll knock me out. Or he's like, I can't sleep anyway, so I need to start working. It's probably the latter. But either way, 
It's a miraculous movement of the hand of Almighty God. It's such a small thing. It's such a under-the-surface kind of a thing. It's such a minute thing that if you're not astute, if you're not seeking God, if you're not believing that He's working, if you're not really longing to see Him do something, you'll miss it altogether. But God had opened up that Bible, opened up those chronicles, a type of your Bible, to a specific spot for that king in answer to some prayers going on, not letting the man sleep, having him come in and read in the chronicles. And God says, hey, I want to show you something in here that you missed a long time ago and it's something you should have never missed. It happens to fall in verse number 2. On a place that Mordecai told of Big Than and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, keepers of the door who sought to lay hands on the king of Ahasuerus. Ain't that wild? I mean, I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is seeing God's timing work. And if you are not faithful to be in the Bible, I know what the chronicles are here. I'm talking about it as a type of the Bible. If you aren't faithful to open up that Bible and read, What the king's doing is he's reading boring stuff in order to do his homework. He's saying, I I, I can't sleep anyways, probably just figuring let's get to work. Let's see what I missed, what's been going on. I mean, any good leader will study history. Any good leader will circle back and think, man, something's bugging me. I don't know what I forgot, but I, I forgot something. What was it? So he's, he, I can't sleep. I got too many plates spinning in my head. Too much going on here. What, what do I need to get accomplished? You know, it happens to me fairly often, not, not, as, not a lot, but fairly often where I'm just up at 2.30. I'm up at 3. And I lay there and say, God, if it's okay with you, I'd like to go back to sleep because if I'm being a nut, then help me to stop being a nut and get some rest. And then, you know, a lot of times God says, yes, you're a nut. Go back to sleep. And that's a real blessing. There are other times that God says, no, get up. You know what you do? Get up, you go down there and you open up the book. You don't get on the TV. You don't get on your smartphone. You don't start checking Facebook. You don't get on YouTube. Come on. You get in there and you open up the book and you say, God, what do you have to say to me? And God begins to show a man some things that changes the course of history. He's digging into the book. What he's doing is he's fulfilling his duty. You know, I see it as a Christian, not as a preacher, as a Christian. I see it my duty to get in my Bible. Do you understand that? I see it as my duty. Because God's not appearing to you in visions and dreams anymore. You know how God's going to direct your life? By the written word of God sitting in your lap right now. That's how God's going to direct your life. God will begin working maybe in answer to somebody else's prayers, maybe in answer to your prayers, and you better be in that Bible and you better be reading that thing even when you run across the Chronicles, get through it. I've wondered, you should all try to read your Bible cover to cover one time before you go see the Lord. Every last one of you ought to be able to stand before Jesus Christ and say, I read it cover to cover before I died. And if you can't read it, listen to it. But get that Bible in you before you see Him face to face. I read through those chronicles, and I'll be honest with you, I'm tempted to start skimming. Come on. And God says, every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto them to put their trust in Him. And I say, yes, sir. So I go back to the beginning of the chapter, and I start reading every one of those names, because every one of those is a word of God. And it's pure, and I have no idea why it's there, and I'll probably live and die and never find out. But I do know this. It might just be a test. Hey, you trusted me? You read all them chronicles? <laughs> Good job. I mean, that's worst case scenario, right? I'll guarantee you there's stuff in there that you're going to figure out in the millennium. But I know God said that I'm going to do my due diligence, and so I try to do my duty, and I read that book. You know, the course of my life has been changed by two things. One of them has been preaching. It's literally changed the course of my life for the good. The other thing's changed the course of my life is getting in that Bible and believing that Bible and reading that Bible. And you know what I've seen? I've seen an unbelievable timing of Almighty God and how He leads me to proper passages at the proper time. And those events are not every week, they're not every month, they're not even every year, but they are life-changing for the good. Be faithful in the book 
He's fulfilling his duty, but beyond that, the direction of God in a divine way is showing up. And he begins to remind him of something that Mordecai had done. Now think about it if you're Mordecai. Mordecai did the right thing. He got a report. He gave it to the king, saved the king's life. Is that a good thing? Yes. Okay. Guess what he got for it? Nothing. You ever done right? And gotten nothing for it? Pastor tells somebody else, good job, and doesn't even see what you're doing? Doesn't even recognize that while everybody else was sitting down to enjoy the service, you were running downstairs and grabbing all the water bottles and running up to Kroger to get them refilled because at lunch nobody was going to have any water and Pastor didn't even know what happened. Nobody recognized you or noticed you. Or somebody else gets the credit for something you did. Isn't that frustrating? Do you know I do right? I try to do right because it's right to do. Now, think about that for a minute. You and I ought to do right because it's right. Not because of what we're going to get out of it. I hope and pray that my daughters do right because it's right to do. I hope all you young ladies do right because it's right to do. In other words, if you fall in love with the wrong guy and you find out he's the wrong guy, you dump him because it's wrong. You do right because it's right to do. Well, if I dump him, I might not get married till I'm 30. Good. It's right. You do right because it's right. And you trust God in the timing in your life. You just make the right choices because God Almighty is watching what you're doing and He's recording what happened. It did not go unnoticed. It went unrewarded, but not unnoticed. You do right because it's right. And whether you benefit or not is beside the point. It's do right. And in God's timing... God brings it back up again. God took what Mordecai did and set it to the side. Man, that's aggravating. You know, I got to admit, more than once, God's put his finger on something in my life and said, hey, you got to humble yourself and you got to take care of this. And I am telling you, listen, I'm not going into details right now, maybe someday when I'm old, but not right now. And I ain't going into details for a lot of years. Someday maybe, but just take it from me that God's put his finger on the most sensitive, tender, hurtful things I can't even describe to you and said, I want you to take one for the team. And in at least one situation I did and got nothing back for it, two years humiliated myself, humbled myself, and got nothing for it for two years. But it sure was a good two years of sleeping. Sure was a good two years of not having bitterness and anger in my heart. Sure was a good two years of a clean conscience because I had done what God had asked me to do. Man, that was a great two years. And it took God's timing years later to see what God was doing was something done two years ago. Because God doesn't always reward, but He always remembers. And His timing is above our timing and His ways are in our ways. He can see things down the road in your life that you can't see. So what you got to do is do right, even when you don't understand, because it's right to do, and you leave it to God. Brings me to the last point is the feet of the men involved in this passage. Verses 4 through 14, we're not going to go down verse by verse through it, so just bear with me here. You got Mordecai's feet. Look where they are in verse number 4. Excuse me, you got Haman's feet. Look where they are in verse number 4. King says, who's in the court? Now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak to the king for the purpose of hanging Mordecai. See it? Talking about God's timing, right? Talking about the little things that don't look like much to us that are huge to God. Haman's feet are the feet of a wicked man. Haman's a man that's been obsessed with himself. 
Haman's a man that's more worried about his Facebook or YouTube channel or any of the rest of that stuff than he is about anything else. He's not concerned with you. He's not concerned with helping you. He's not concerned with the king. You know what? I meant to say this, I think, last time I preached on this thing. This is Haman. Trust me about this. Haman would have cut that king's throat from ear to ear and watched him bleed out in a heartbeat if he could get away with it and get that throne. In an absolute heartbeat. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that he wanted the king's throne. And this passage proves that my previous thought was right. Because he's thinking the king's saying, huh, what shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor? And he's like, that's got to be me. Everybody knows my success. I mean, isn't that how he ended the last chapter? Bragging to his wife about how great he is and bragging about how wonderful he is and Esther brought me into the banquet and the king this and I'm the man and I'm so great and did you see my following on on social media and how many people are liking and clicking and listening and I am famous! Haman. So he walks in there. He's got the feet of a wicked man. I, I, I just warn you. And it's true. The devil can make you think you're more popular and more powerful than you are in this generation. The devil can do it to entire churches now. Because of the whole online ministry garbage. I'm glad when you're sick you can watch the live stream. I'm glad when you're in the hospital you can watch the live stream. But I am telling you. The live stream channels and subscribers and all the rest of that stuff does not mean the blessing of God is on this church. I am no more of a powerful preacher than God uses me in the lives of individuals on a personal level over an extended period of time. Does that make sense? I know you think I'm crazy. Well, some of you might. Most of you don't, I hope. But Haman, man, he's got this thing. He's got it. It's all about him. And his feet are the feet of the wicked. All he thinks about and cares about is his own promotion, his own future, his own success, where he's going in life. And he walks in with that attitude. He thinks everything's about him. Well, the timing of that, I mean... Here I am, my feet are in the court. I walk in the room. The king looks at me. What shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Well, duh, the timing, obviously, that's God, right? Right. Yeah, God and the devil work so closely together, it's like hand and glove. You can't sometimes tell which is which. And it's because sometimes they're both working at the same time in the same circumstances, and they're both trying to use the timing of what's happening in your life to get you where they want you to be. And Haman's feet are right there in the wrong place at the wrong time. But the feet of Mordecai, he's got some different feet. The king tells Haman what he wants done, and Haman says, the most powerful prince in the kingdom, and the king says, yeah, you're the prince, now go get Mordecai and put him on there. See what Haman wanted. Thinking he's talking about himself, he says, give me your spot, your apparel, your horse, your credit, right? He was all about his own promotion. Hey, promotion cometh not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. The only thing he left out in that passage is the north, because that's where the Lord dwells. He setteth up one and taketh down another. Didn't I tell you, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time? Do you know God's timing is perfect on everything? Haman thinks, Mordecai thinks God forgot him. Everything's going from bad to worst. They're fasting and praying, but they're faithful to do right, and his feet are in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. And as a result, God's timing is able to work in a miraculous way to bring about the right thing in his life, her life, and the life of all the Jews in all that kingdom. Haman comes in there, give me this stuff. This is what I think I'm getting. And the king says, all right, go do all that to Mordecai. Now watch. Verse 11, Then Haman took the apparel and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, brought him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Watch Mordecai's feet in verse 12. Mordecai came again to the king's gate. What's that, preacher? Nothing. That's the point. 
when God promoted Mordecai, when God in his timing set all this up to where God dug up Mordecai doing right in the past, where God remembered what Mordecai had done and when he had done right, and he thought he wasn't getting rewarded for it, but God's timing and answer to prayer through the book brings things together in this perfect picture where all this setup is taking place and God's working in other people's lives and in the lives of the people that are the closest to him all at the same time with the same circumstances. He comes walking in there. He gets him. He's like, I'm getting promoted. I'm getting put on a horse. I'm getting rode around. Everybody sees my name. All I did is not bow to that loser. That's all I did. I just did right. right. You know what I love about Mordecai? When he gets back from that promotion, it didn't go to his head one iota. He takes his feet and he goes right back to the place where he belongs in the king's gate. And it's like, I'm back. He's not strutting around like he's the next guy. Do you see what the king did? Do you see Haman? <laughs> that was great. Do you see how crushed Haman was? <laughs> his feet just go right back to doing his duty. In other words, the blessing and the promotion and the hand of God on his life did not impact his behavior whatsoever. His behavior was the same after God promoted him as it was before God promoted him. Thereby, you can see that God counted him faithful, putting him in the ministry. God knew God could trust him with the promotion. That's the problem with most of us. God can't trust us with much of a promotion because we forget that it was God that did it and we start thinking we're something special. If God uses you, blesses you, promotes you, gives you a position, a title, or anything, it is purely the mercy. You're a wicked sinner, aren't you? Yes, sir. Not trying to beat you up. You're a wicked sinner, aren't you? Yes, sir. You haven't gotten a lot that you deserve, right? So if God uses you and does something with you, you think it's not mer- you think it's merited? It's the mercy of God. And it's the grace of God. It's not you and it ain't me. It's God. And Mordecai seemed to get that point, but not Haman. Notice Haman's reaction there at the end of the passage, and we're almost done. Look at this thing. Verse number 13, Haman tells, uh, uh, but Haman, verse 12, hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. He doesn't want anybody to see him. You know, when somebody acts like this in their fake humility, it's actually pride. And Haman told Zeresh's wife and all his friends everything that he'd befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh's wife unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but thou shalt surely fall before him. Now these people that were encouraging him to do this stuff are turning on him. And while they yet talked with him, came the king's chamberlain and hasted to, ha- to bring Haman into the banquet that Esther had prepared. Do you see the timing? He's in there grieving, falling apart, having a nervous breakdown. He's absolutely losing it because of the situation. Nothing drove him crazier than to watch the person he hated the most get promoted by God. You better be very careful. You better be very careful if you get to a point where it bothers you to watch somebody else get promoted by God. You realize God has a right to promote anybody he wants? You know, a lot of people are really hard on Dr. Ruckman because he was so hard on the enemies of the Bible. But did you know that he had a prayer list that included all the men that he attacked over the King James Bible issue where he prayed regularly for them because he said God's using some of these guys to win souls to Jesus Christ and they got bigger churches and bigger ministries than I do and he regularly prayed for those men that God would use them. Little known fact. Men that attacked him because of his divorces that didn't even know the details of what happened and why and how that went down and never could have survived what he survived and stayed in the ministry. They couldn't have done it. They literally couldn't have done it. Attacked him, attacked him personally, attacked his character. And he never attacked them personally. He attacked their attack on the Bible. He ridiculed their intelligence when they ridiculed the word of God while they were claiming to be intelligent. He never attacked them personally. And he had a prayer list where he prayed for every one of them even though they attacked him. That's why you know his name. You just didn't know anything about that part of it. You didn't know anything about that part of his private life. You didn't know anything about that kind of character. You didn't know anything about his feet. Those are the feet of Mordecai. But the feet of a wicked person that's about to get snapped by the wrong kind of timing... 
is the one who watches his enemy have a bigger church than him and more souls saved than him and gets jerked up. Sit there in church while they're singing a special and they're doing a better job than you and it starts to bother you. Man, you're fixing to get it. You're fixing to be swinging from the gallows because the work of God doesn't work that way. It's the feet of the individuals in this passage that wound them up in the timing on different sides of what God was doing. Where are your feet going? Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of 1 Timothy. We're not even coming back to Esther. I'm done here. Go to 1 Timothy, if you would, please. I want you to see something. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse number 8. It says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Do you know what that says to you? That says, if you'll do right, if you'll learn some things about fasting and prayer and seriously getting a hold of Almighty God, if you'll be faithful in the book, if you'll watch your feet and where they walk and do right because it's right to do, then there's a promise from Almighty God. And that promise is not just after you die. That promise is now. In this life, you're going to see that it's better to serve Jesus Christ even in the here and now, though you suffer for a while. He's going to establish... Strengthen and settle you. And you will see in this life how good it was to do right. We preach to you that you do it in a way where you don't worry about this life. You wait for the next. But God promised you this life and the next. But you've got to wait on God's timing or you won't see it. Look at chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5. Look at verse 24. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. Some men, they follow after. Likewise, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. You know what that tells you? That says some people, you're going to watch Haman's in this world seem like they're getting away with it, but God said they're, they're getting away, but what's following behind them is their sin. It's going to catch them. Just the timing ain't right. You haven't seen it catch them yet but it's going to catch them. Other people like you, when you start doing wrong, God knocks the slats out from under you right away. And if you're one of those people, you ought to thank God for it because it doesn't let you get too far down that road. That's a blessing, man. I'm one of those. God just busts me so quick, so hard. Man, I'm thankful for it. Look at another passage. Look at chapter 6 and verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. You know what he's saying? Make sure your feet are going the right direction. It's a fight, it's not easy. But if you keep your feet going the right direction, then God and His timing is going to orchestrate everything going on in your life, even the bad, that's Romans 8.28 that came up a few times this week. God will orchestrate everything in your life to bring out something that is so powerful, so huge, so beautiful, you can't even imagine what it is. But God will do it. And God will do it when He's good and ready. So in the meanwhile... Keep after praying. Maybe learn to fast a little bit. Be faithful to be in that book and watch where your feet are going so you don't wind up a Haman. You'll be a Mordecai. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. God's timing. Not my timing. His ways aren't my ways. But I'll guarantee you that if you give God the time and humble yourself and just say, Lord,